0: Thank you. Great to be back with you this morning. Thank you for that time of prayer. Uh, I needed that. And I'm going to tack one more short one onto the end of what we just did, so join me, please. Heavenly Father, um, I am tired this morning, but I thank you because you are strong and you are awake. And alive and I am weak this morning but your grace is sufficient for us so we pray that um, you will get me out of the way and that um, your truth will be what shared and heard this morning and we pray that um, that the words in my mouth and that the reflections of all of our hearts Uh, will be according to your desire and your design. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So friends, uh, for those of you that weren't with us, we're going to do a short recap of uh, what we discussed and studied last week, Um, because this week's message and the focus of this week um, really is the next step forward. on the foundation of what was laid last week. And so last week we discovered uh, through the study of Ephesians uh, three things, that God's perfect standards are impossibly high, at least for this sinner right here. I don't know about you. And that we simply cannot become holy in our own strength. But that we have the good news that Jesus' love for you individually and you all corporately is powerful and unconditional, that God loves you no matter what. And we also heard the good news that the power of Jesus' love is the only thing that can change us in a lasting and in a meaningful way, and that there's no limit to what Jesus' love can do in and through us. I don't know about you, but I walked out of the house of worship last Sunday kind of on a high. I was really feeling the love of God last week, and I was just like, yes, God, you are so amazing. Your love is so perfect. Um, I am so unworthy, but you are so good, and I was just resting in that and rejoicing in that last Sunday. And then over the course of this week, um, maybe you can relate to this. I just felt consistently besieged by the evil that is around us. Uh, We prayed about some of those things this morning in our time of worship. It's my earring? Okay. Lady preacher problems, hold on one second. Okay, that's better. Um, Eleven precious people at a bris ceremony in their house of worship executed in a hate crime, two precious saints shot to death in the grocery store while they're getting some food based on racial hatred, that's it, two former presidents and other high profile Americans being sent pipe bombs in the mail by a dangerous extremist, and another precious young woman abused, threatened, blackmailed, stalked, and then murdered by her abuser in Utah. All that happened this week, not to mention in our own city, in our own hometown, this year 446 Chicagoans have been killed by homicide, most of whom, friends, we aren't even talking about. We don't even know their names. So the battles we face are real, and they are overwhelming. They are external and they are internal. We have to battle sometimes to hold on to hope when we're overcome with hopelessness. We have to battle to trust in God's sovereignty, love, and provision when we are consumed with fear and with dread. We have to battle to keep on being loving when the world seems full of hate. We have to battle to trust and believe in the goodness of God in the face of unspeakable evil. We have to battle to continue to pursue restorative justice when all around every day we are besieged by the call for vengeance. We have to battle to pursue holiness when we'd rather take shortcuts. And we have to battle to hold on to peace when we're caught up in a swirl of chaos. And so just in time, our reading for today comes to us. It's from this week's readings in your Immerse curriculum that you've been journeying through together as a congregation. This, is, this, this book of Philippians is my favorite of all of the epistles to the churches that Paul wrote. It's the most loving, gushing, appreciative, praiseworthy, and gracious of all of the letters. The church at Philippi was a special church. They were known for their love, their peace, their grace, and their generosity. This letter has the least amount of corrective teaching and the most exhortation to just keep on persevering in what they are doing, even in the face of great opposition that they were facing. So the question for this morning is, what what can we learn from Paul and from these Christians in the midst of the inner battles that we face. And so in the conclusion of his letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, this is the NIV version, this is what Paul writes to them. (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, I don't know about you, but this passage, along with some others, is almost so familiar to me that sometimes it's hard to read it with fresh ears. I've read this book so many times, I'm almost anesthetized to the core meaning and the emphasis of this passage. So I almost never do this, but this week I took the liberty of looking at the original language and trying my hand at rewriting or retranslating this passage by my own hand. So first, a disclaimer, there is a reason why nobody has ever asked me to translate the Bible, okay? This is uh, homework that's probably best left to those saints like Eugene Peterson, God rest his soul. But for me, sometimes it's helpful because I can kind of dig into the nuance and the underlying meaning that sometimes gets missed. And so I did, and uh, I'm gonna share it with you this morning. (coughs) Excuse me. Maybe you'll hear something you haven't heard before that'll help you take a hold of these words in a new way. And so the first version we just read was the NIV. This is the BQV, B's questionable version. And we're gonna read it again in the BQV, okay? One uh, translator that I was reading about said that the word rejoice appears in the imperative mood. And the imperative mood is like somebody texting you in all caps with three exclamation points at the end of the message. And so it's with that mood that Paul is speaking to the church at Philippi. Rejoice! in the Powerful and Supreme Lord at all times! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I say it again, rejoice, all caps. Collectively allow your gentle fairness and equity to be recognizable toward all people. The Powerful Lord is ready and nearby. Be anxious over not even one thing. Three exclamation points. But in all things, by worshipful prayer and earnest requests with gratitude, allow the things you are asking for to be known thoroughly by God. And the secure tranquility of God which is superior to and rises above all intellectual understanding, will strongly guard and protect your hearts and your perceptions in Christ Jesus. Moreover, brothers and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are equitable and just, whatever things are innocent and pure, whatever things are lovely and pleasing, whatever things have a stellar reputation, if there is anything praiseworthy or virtuous or commendable, meditate on these things and take them into account. All those things that I was just talking about, which you have learned and taken in and heard with understanding and watched in me, Now get busy and keep on practicing them! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! And the God of secure tranquility will be in your midst. What I see, friends, in this reading are three key disciplines or practices, a challenge, and a promise. And we're gonna touch on all of those things this morning. The first discipline, as people who trust in a loving God, is to rejoice. 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 It's a formative discipline. God has got this. And so we are free to act restoratively, to rejoice for our own restoration, and for our restorative witness to other people. Think of stubbornly rejoicing in the face of evil as some sort of spiritual boot camp where we're celebrating the victory before the battle is even over. It's actually an incredibly subversive act in the face of widespread evil and despair to come together and to stubbornly worship and rejoice in the presence of God. We can rejoice because we can trust ourselves completely to God's care. God allows us to be free in our gentle and equitable treatment of other people because he's got us. We can rejoice and we can continue in love and in justice to those around us instead of competing for our own will and our own way because God has us. The powerful Lord is very nearby Paul tells us, and ready to act. For some of us, that discipline of rejoicing is easier. And for some of us, it's harder. We all have a natural temperament. How many of you have taken the Enneagram? Or heard about it? Yeah, it's a helpful tool. So I'm a four on the Enneagram. And what that basically means is that I'm sort of a tortured artist, and I'm not happy unless I'm miserable about something, right? And so for me, rejoicing can be a strenuous discipline. Then I think, for example, of my own grandmother who's a seven, the joyful person. Being joyful is like the air she breathes. I don't think I've ever seen her not happy. So if that's your gift, praise God, use it, And let it bless other people because we need some joy. And if that isn't your gift, then it's your task and it's your discipline. Make yourself stubbornly dwell in joy. Do what it takes to get in the center of the joy of God's goodness when everything around us is trying to give us that opposite message. Even just last night, I knew I was going to have to preach about rejoicing. And I was so depressed over the news, I didn't know what to do. So I put on some praise music for about 45 minutes. And just kind of let it wash over me. And that helped me get into a heart space and a head space where I could prepare to share with you this morning that rejoicing is a formative, and I would say even a subversive, discipline in the midst of the battles that we face. The second thing Paul invites us to do after we've rejoiced is to pray, is to pray. To pray freely, to pray honestly, and to pray often. And the promise coming out of that discipline is that God will guard your heart and your mind like a fortress if you bring your needs to Him in prayer. There's a lot of reasons we don't pray. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't feel like we have the right words. I don't know about you, but um, for some reason growing up um, I internalized somehow the message that praying meant telling God what I thought God wanted to hear. So I knew how to pray all sorts of really nice words, beautiful words. The problem was I didn't mean half of them. We don't have to pray like, oh sovereign Lord. Almighty maker of heaven and earth, grant thee thy servant temperance. God doesn't even speak old English and we don't need to either. We can speak from our hearts the way we would talk to a friend. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't feel worthy to pray. I struggle with that one a lot. You know, when I was in youth group in high school, every summer we used to take a camping trip. And we'd go canoeing uh, up in middle Michigan, and we would um, gather around a campfire every night for devotions. And there were some uh, youth group leaders there, and there were some uh, parental chaperones there. And one of the parental chaperones, uh, it was his turn that night to lead the devotion. And the core message of his devotion was this. If you are actively sinning, God doesn't listen to your prayers. That was his message. If you're sinning, God doesn't listen to your prayers. And I was about 13 or 14 years old and I was pretty awkward and pretty shy. But I remember looking around and all the kids' eyes were like as big as saucers. And they were all so scared and so shocked by what they were hearing. And there were a bunch of other adults there and nobody was saying anything. So finally, I kind of timidly raised my hand and I was like, oh, excuse me, Mr. Peterson. Um, with all due respect, sir, uh, that is an absolutely ridiculous thing to say. (laughs) And we spent the next 20 minutes just in a a one-on-one battle arguing about whether or not that teaching was true. Um, So it's kind of not a surprise looking back that I ended up becoming a pastor, although I had no idea that I would be at the time. Uh, So now... Now I have the credentials and authority today to share with you that that is a lie. That is a lie. When you are sinning, that is the exact time when God wants you to come to him in prayer the most. Because if you are sinning, friends, that means you're in the driver's seat when you shouldn't be. Anybody remember the bumper sticker, Jesus is my co-pilot? Yeah, that's a stupid bumper sticker. (laughs) Jesus is not your co-pilot. In fact, you are not even Jesus' co-pilot. When you pray, you put God back in the driver's seat where he, he belongs, and you go back where you're supposed to be, which is like the annoying backseat driver that's asking him to turn left 50 times and not to get on the Kennedy at 4.30 in the afternoon on a Friday. When you are in trouble, when you are facing inner battles, when you are sinning, that is the exact time that you should come to God and pray. He will honor your prayers. He will graciously and lovingly and gratefully receive them because it puts things back in order again. It's an act of worship to pray, no matter how awkward your words are or how embarrassed you feel about yourself. When you come to God and you acknowledge that God is God, and you are not. And you need him to do things in your heart, and in your mind, and in your life that you are incapable of doing yourself. That is when you should come to him. Pray freely. Pray honestly. Pray openly. God is longing for that from you. So yesterday I was praying about this in preparation for this morning. And I was asking God, is there like a real life example or an application of an inner battle that's relatable that you would want me to share um, in the sermon tomorrow? And I I heard God say, yeah, sure, why don't you talk to the people about how you and I have been... Dealing with your lust lately. And I was like, God, did I mention that this is my parents' church? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, I know, but you're always complaining about how people don't talk about sex in church ever, and we don't help single people, so put your money where your mouth is and talk about it a little bit. So here goes. I'm not going to gross you out, I promise, okay? Uh, but my, I like disclaimers, it makes me feel better, so just bear with me. So my first disclaimer is, before you get all, you know, creeped out or, or whatever, uh, I would just challenge you to try being a 39-year-old single Christian woman, trying to find true love on Bumble, or that other app that shall not be named. It starts with a T and it ends with Ender or eHarmony, or Christian Mingle, or any of those things. Friends, if you're here with your spouse this morning, no matter how annoying they might be to you right now, I want you to grab that person's hand and say, honey, I love you. Thank you for taking me off the market, because it is a a dystopian nightmare out there, okay? I promise. So, So lust is real, okay? Desire is real. That's actually a good gift that God made for us so that we could enjoy intimacy and express love in a way that is unique and beautiful. Uh, it turns into lust when it becomes about self-satisfaction and self-service with no, no concern for the other. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's an issue for me, okay? Okay. So recently, it was a couple months ago, um, I matched with somebody on a, a dating website and we started chatting and, um, and uh, we decided to meet up for coffee. And so, you know, we picked a time and a place to meet. And as I was getting ready for the date, I was praying to God and I was praying freely and honestly and often to God in preparation for this date. And the reason why I knew I, knew I needed to pray that way is because this guy was so good-looking that it was criminal it was not even fair it was not a fair fight okay so I was praying before the date and I was like Lord I know I'm supposed to pray for your will to be done but I'm just gonna tell you I don't want to pray for that because your will sounds super boring and my will sounds super fun and I uh, know I should ask for your help and that I should surrender to your will but I don't want to, okay? That is where my heart is at right now. So this is what I'm, I'm praying to you this morning. I am praying this morning, actually it was afternoon, this afternoon, that you will, in your power, if you don't want me to sin and displease you, that you will get in my face and get in my way. That was my prayer. Because I don't have the strength to do the right thing. I'm just telling you that right now. So I prayed that prayer, I heard a little okay from God, and I went on the date, we sat down for coffee, it was really nice, we talked about our interests, and I talked about, you know, what I like to do, which is basically like work really hard, and then troll Facebook on my phone for a couple of hours before I fall asleep every night. Um, I actually made myself sound way cooler than that, I'm just kidding. But that's the truth. Um, And then... And then he talked about his interests, and so he talked about how he enjoys camping, and I was like, oh, I love camping, the great outdoors, nature is so beautiful. And then he was like, yeah, and I really enjoy sports, and... I actually don't care about sports at all, but I was like, go team, yay, sports, you know? (laughs) And then, I'm not even kidding, the next thing out of his mouth is, yes, and I also really uh, am disciplined about saving my money, because uh, I like to regularly add to my arsenal of semi-automatic weapons. I'm not kidding. This is a true story. That really happened. At which point I was like, I need to use the restroom, can you just give me a minute? So I go into the restroom and I'm like, Lord, you are powerful! You just brought the temperature down from 110 to negative 20 in like two seconds. That's amazing. Now, please get me out of this date in one piece. And also, I thank you and I praise you that he doesn't know my last name or my address. And so then I go back, I go back to the table and I'm like, I'm so sorry, my boss called and I really have to go. But it's been a pleasure to meet you. And uh, I went on my way and the whole way home, I was marveling. I really was marveling because God is so faithful even to answer our punkiest prayers. If you want to ask God to change your mind and change your heart so that you actually want to do right and you want to please him, please pray those prayers. The Lord will honor you. If you can't pray that, if you're not even there yet, then just be real and honest with God about it and ask him to get in your face and get in your way and God will. The scripture says, make your requests thoroughly known to God. You don't have to sugarcoat it. You don't have to hide anything. You can just be honest and God will show up in a powerful way. The promise when we do this is that God is going to stand guard over your heart and your mind like a fortress. That's amazing. That is some serious protection. All right, so here's the third thing we're rejoicing, we're praying fervently, and then we're invited to meditate. on all God's good things. I think Oprah calls this the gratitude list, but however you want to do it, we are invited in the face of all of the bad and the heavy and the embattled things in our hearts and in our lives and in the world around us to stop and to meditate on all of God's good things, to consider things that are honest and just and innocent and pure and lovely and pleasing, commendable, praiseworthy, virtuous. See, we often approach our inner battles by worrying too much about our output, what we're going to say next or what we're going to do next, and we don't pay attention very much at all to our spiritual diet and to our input, what are you consuming? Friends, if you're facing the same battle over and over and over again, chances are there's something that you're taking into your life that needs to be remedied. Now, I'm not advising anybody here not to read the news or to be socially conscious or to be civically active. You should be all of those things as Christ leads you. But if you are finding that you are cynical and angry and fearful all the time, and you're literally spending six hours a day Getting your news from Twitter and reading all the toxic comments about everything that's happening, and you haven't spent even 10 minutes digesting the Word of God and its loving promises for your life, then it's simply no wonder that your output is out of whack. You got to pay attention to your input. For me, it's music. I almost never watch TV, not because I'm cool, but just because I like music better. And I listen to a lot of music when I come home from work. That's kind of what I do in the evenings to unwind. I like all different kinds of music, but one of my favorite genres of music is hip-hop. Always has been since junior high. And... um, there's a lot of really good, really socially conscious, really empowering hip-hop out there. A lot of it. I love the beats. I love the deep thoughts. I love the confidence and the energy. I love the vocals. There's also a lot of hip-hop out there that is super sexual. A lot of it. So just for one more second, back to what we were talking about before, I started noticing that I had to pay attention to what I was consuming if I wanted to get a different output. And I'm suggesting the same for you today. I don't know what that is. I don't know what negative things you're devouring all the time and what positive things seem to be in short supply. But I'm encouraging you to identify what that is And to invite God to bring some balance to your consumption. And watch, if you cooperate with him in changing the input, watch how he will transform your output. After these three disciplines that Paul shares with the Philippians... He ends with an exhortation and a promise. Now, all this stuff that I've shared with you, that I've shown you, that I've modeled to you, practice it and keep on practicing it. He doesn't say do it perfectly, just practice. Just practice a little bit. And the promise is this, that the God of the heavens and the earth, is going to be so close to you in this process that he will dwell within you and among you. He's not far away. He's right here. He's right here. God is going to be so near to you that he will be closer than your own breath, and that will he will be in your midst. That is our promise. That is our promise. Let's pray together. Loving God, in the midst of the battles that we face, interior and exterior. We need constant reminders of your unconditional love, your very near presence, your promise to guard and protect us, and your promise to transform us. We thank you, God, for these promises. We ask that you help us to receive them, to believe them, and to choose to trust in them. We ask that you help us to rejoice in them as a subversive witness in the midst of evil. God, you are our God. Let us be your people this week people filled with joy, people quick to pray, people quick to meditate on all that you are and all that you have done. We need you, God. We thank you, we praise you, and we honor you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.